Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, Blue. Yo, Adrian. I A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the Man Cave, your host, Elias. Pamela, welcome to the cave. Thanks for having me. How are you? What's new with you? I'm good. You know, just trying to survive this wind. All of a sudden, the weather has changed. So, uh, you know, oh, we're in. Where, where are you right now? I'm I'm in Los Angeles, but it just all wow. you know after Halloween, then it becomes winter almost. So, <laughs> <laughs> how's that? How the whole quarantine treating you? You know, it's been super interesting because. You know, at first we didn't know what was going to happen. And then, you know, two months in, everyone's panicking with the whole toilet paper thing. And it's actually been a great opportunity for me to get everything done that I had put off as well as being creative. And I made like a little short at home with my fiance. I got engaged. Like for all the bad that has happened this year, a lot of good stuff is now at the end of the year, strangely turning around and doing, doing okay. Yeah. So yeah, you have a new film that's coming out, One Little Finger. It's going to be on Amazon and Apple TV. Uh, we'll talk, you've worked on multiple projects. Uh, you've recorded uh, music, filmmaker. You've done a, you've done a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you stay busy. Uh, let's get to know a little more about you. Uh, where are you originally from? I'm originally from New York, Long Island, New York. And then I moved to the Gulf Coast of Florida when I was a kid and went to FSU um, film school and then came to LA. How old were you when you kind of had an idea this is what you wanted to do? Um, I just always had a deep love of the entertainment business in general and a love of film and performance since I was young. I mean, I was kind of a weird kid, youngest of five kids. My siblings are much older and I feel like my mom was hanging on to me. So I didn't go to preschool. And I watched a lot of like nostalgia network, like Turner Classic Movies type things. And uh, I, I remember watching I Love Lucy, the episode where they go to California. And I just was like, oh, I, that, I'm going there. Like I just knew that's where I was going to end up before I even really knew where California was. And my parents were very good at like, nurturing whatever it was that each of us were either good at or wanted to do in the right way. Not like a um, stage mom, but just like, oh, you're into that. You should do that. And like, you can do that. So I, I sort of am naive in the effect of, I believe everyone's a peer. And I, th- you know, that when they said like reach for the stars, I thought, oh, okay, that's attainable. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. So, so it just sort of, I, I've never thought that it couldn't be done. And I've just always sort of led that way in my career. And um, yeah, so the love started, I probably from watching old movies, I'm kind of an old soul. I mean, my recording career is in jazz, which is not a normal path that people take. And um, it just, it's sort of an innate thing, I think. It's just an innate thing. Like I just knew I would be a part of this industry. So I just have a great love of, I'm an old movie buff. So I have a great love of movies in general. Wow. So like when you told your family, okay, this is what you wanted to do. Like what was their reaction at first? Um, Well, I mean, most of my family is Italian, Brooklyn, New Yorkers. And and they're like, oh, you act around the house enough, you know, like just being (laughs) silly, silly, critical. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, well, then maybe I shouldn't talk about this. So 
I, and it wasn't like they meant any harm and they're just being themselves. And I, but what I did was when I was in high school, if I had any sort of performance, I thought, well, you know, the rest of the world is already of enough harsh critic. I don't want to invite my family to this. So I never let on when I was doing something and somehow my family always found out and they would not tell me they were coming and they would show up in the audience of things. And then they'd be like, wow, that was awesome. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. I, I guess it's cool to do this. But like I said, they never poo pooed my aspirations. Instead, they just said, yeah, go like reach for it, do it. Now you, you mentioned uh, you enjoyed watching like old movies, like what were some of your favorites? Oh, geez. There's so many, but like Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, my most favorite movie ever is It's a Wonderful Life, which seems really simple and trite, but it genuinely is like Frank Capra's style of filmmaking is all about championing the little guy. And, you know, as just people, we have a tendency like, oh, I can be great if I could just get out of this small town. But most of his characters find out that they're great within their small town. And I always stuck with me. And also like the Frank Capra style of filmmaking is, you know, using messaging, which now, of course, we use in different mediums all the time in TV. But back then it was like literally when a character had a problem, he looked over to a, to the sky and saw a billboard, a billboard that said, like, call dad. He knows, you know, yeah. it's just like I love little moments like that because that's really how life is. You know, you're like, oh, God, I I thought of you today. And then like you like I, I saw a hummingbird and I remember seeing a hummingbird with this person. when I was a kid and then randomly they called me on the phone. It's like random things happen like that. And it's, it's, it's just fun to uh, implement those things now, like as a storyteller, as a filmmaker within my own, they're like Easter eggs. And I think he was sort of like the forefather of the Easter egg. What do you, what do you enjoy more filmmaking or acting? I enjoy all of it. Uh, I'm a storyteller at my core, but when people ask this question, I think what they're really trying to get to the heart of is uh, not what you enjoy more, like putting one over the other, but which is the easiest. And for me, it's the easiest to step in somewhere as a performer, do my job and go home. I think, you know, as you know, you have a podcast. So it's like, the show doesn't run without you. You can't just be like, I'm talking and then somebody else is going to edit it. Or if they do, you know, that's great. But usually you have a lot of say in that. And as a director, as a film producer, you know, you're the first one there and the last one to leave. And as an actor, it's just do your show, do your part and go home. And the consequences are on really somebody else as long as you've done your job well. So I, I definitely enjoy, you know, being a performer uh, more so than anything else. So when you majored in college, what was your major at first? I majored, I went to film school at FSU, which accepts 16 students from all over the world, which meant that I uh, went to film school with somebody who was 17, another person who was like 65 from Norway and another person like, oh, wow. it was all, yeah, it was all different ages. And I, I majored um, uh, in film and have also uh, a minor in theater because you couldn't double major and go to film school and theater school at the same time. It was too, too large of a track. So I was part of both schools, but my mate, I have a BFA uh, from the film school. So when you first moved out to LA, what was one of, like one of your first projects that you started working on? Well, ironically, or, or I, yeah, ironically, I I had wanted to work with a production company, and the the female woman who ran it used to run Paramount Studios. She's one of the first like studio presidents, 
and she was dying. And I was like, well, I've just started school, but I really want to work with that person. So <laughs> I called and I asked about an internship and they're like, yeah, can you come meet us on Friday? Not knowing I was coming from Florida and not knowing I was a teenager. And I was like, oh yeah, definitely. So I flew out to LA and I literally pretended that I had graduated and uh, started working in the business super young. And then they wanted to hire me and I was like, I have to go back to school. So it was a really cool, unique situation because I got to meet this woman before she passed away, uh, gained tons of industry uh, knowledge and connections and then went back to school, graduated and then came back again. And it was just a unique thing because when you're thrown into a situation where you're working for a major producer who makes major studio movies, everyone calls. And I think, you know, one of my first phone calls that I answered was from Robin Williams. Like, imagine what that's like. I, I it was nuts, you know? And I was like, Oh, sure. Well, I was trying to play cool, you know, like, sure. One moment, you know, but uh, it was pretty wild. Uh, so that was my first job like behind the scenes in the industry. But while I was going to school, uh, back and forth, I ended up going to the Strasbourg Institute here and I did a number of different, you know, short films and things like that. And the one that got attention was something that I had been writing about my dad coming as an immigrant to this country from Sicily uh, when he was a child. And I had written it from like short to feature back to short. And I had received uh, a grant from a film festival, from an Italian film festival, My People. And it turned out to be null and void because the head of the film festival ended up taking my grant and making his own movie two weeks before I was to shoot my little short film based on my dad's life uh, at Paramount Studios. And I had no funding, no nothing. And I literally called every person I had ever met when I first came to town. And a lot of those contacts had come from that first job I told you about. And um, I did this little film called Volare. And while I was shooting it for some idea, I just, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, I know Steven Spielberg or his people are gonna see this movie. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And uh, it had won a number of festivals and Steven Spielberg and Mark Burnett decided to do a, a reality show called On the Lot for Fox, which was to find the next best like storyteller, the next best director. And it was just one of those weird, like, did I manifest that? Was this a fluke? Or, you know, is this something I always wanted, didn't know, and it just sort of happened? I don't know. But that was really like the first thing that sort of lit up my career. Prior to this, you know, you go to film school, you do a bunch of projects. Uh, my thesis had had won a number of things and was one of the first uh, films to be purchased by Adam Films, which was a part of um, Comedy Central. So it's just one of those things like, you know, you just put all your, your work out there into the world and hope something sticks. And that was like the very first thing, but professionally in the entertainment business, when I was working for, um, for that first producer, I mean, I was, whatever they were working on, I was a part of as a, as an assistant, you know? So it was, it was very interesting to actually go from film school uh, to Hollywood where the, my film school is unique in the, in the fact that when you go to FSU film school, because it's so specialized, the funding comes from the state, which would be in a sense like 
the studio. So we, we were responsible to the state of Florida for the films that we made and they owned them when uh, we finished. So our thesis oh. films, we don't, oh yeah. So, uh, which was funny because when I did make that Adam film sale, uh, I, they were, I was like, oh yeah, the money goes back to the school, <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, it, it just, it was a great training ground for what the real world of how the studio system works. So I, I easily was able to sort of slip in uh, having dealt with so many different personalities from all over the world into a real life Hollywood situation. And when people ask like, oh, should I go to film school? I'm like, if you feel there's nothing else you would be happy doing, absolutely do that. And I'm so sorry, the cat is going crazy right now for some reason. I don't know if you heard that, but um, <laughs> um, anyhow, FSU Film School is the is one of the top film schools in the country. And I always say, if you have the opportunity to submit to be a student there, you, you should do it because it's so specialized and you get great training. And it's a real life sort of situation where you're responsible to the powers that be. Uh, where I'm not gonna knock the other film schools. I mean, USC and, and uh, NYU and all those guys, I mean, they teach you how to actually raise funds, uh, which is another route to go, obviously. Which most people are content creators and independent filmmakers now too and that's always the biggest thing like everybody's got great ideas but how will you fund this so that's another form of uh training that needs to be learned as well which we we did learn too but uh it just was a different scenario and it's and it's funny because like now there's some some people just pick up a camera they don't even do film schools anymore they just go, jump right into it yeah which i think also is totally fine i get that question a lot people are like how should i start and like just start you know during quarantine uh my fiance and I, we shot a little short film on the iPhone 11 pro. Cause we had been like watching all these old twilight zones and just different things. And I had this random nightmare one night and I was like, Oh my God, that would make a really good short. And so I wrote it up, we did it. And now it's like, you know, going through a festival circuit all in the time of pandemic, which is crazy to me, you know, who, but, did, who, did, who did all the editing you? Yeah. Yeah, we, oh, we did awesome. everything together. It was super, it was super great. And it came out literally like how the dream did, you know, when you have one of those recurring nightmares where you think you've woken up, but you're still in the dream and it keeps like, yeah, turning. yeah so it was sort of like that. And um, it's called fever. And um, you can find it on my website, the link to it to YouTube, but it's, it's just starting like it's little festival tour. Awesome. So yeah, super little cute black and white thing. Not cute because it is freaky, but it's one of those weird things that we're just like, we have to do something. We're locked in the house. We got to be creative. And now you have a new film, One Little Finger. Yes, November 16th. <laughs> uh, how exciting has this been for you? Super exciting, completely unique. I mean, I spent, I, I spent time with the film over five years, but I shot in India for two, going back and forth, uh, mainly because they have a different operating schedule there, but really because I thought I can't exist in India for two years away from America. So I had different, different schedules throughout the year, those two years. Um, and the most interesting thing about it as a film is that it is uh, a film which is all about the message is all about the ability and disability. And we hired over 80 people with disabilities for this movie. And I really feel like I went over there and everything that my character was experiencing, I sort of was experiencing real time too, because it was sort of like an eat, pray, love situation and a culture shock all at the same time. But it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And uh, yeah, it comes out November 16th 
on all platforms, you know, Apple, Amazon, Vudu, Google, all those things, wherever you can rent movies. How did you get involved with the film? Strangely, because I have you know, a recording career and a filmmaking career and an acting career all at once, I, my social media blew up and um, I had been offered two other movies in India before and my reps were like, you can't do it. We don't know the infrastructure over there. What if something happens to you? We have no way of getting to you. And one film that we had turned down had went to Cannes. And I was like, darn, I should have done that movie, you know? So then randomly, this is one of these like weird magic things that happens when you're, when you go to India or before, like if you're attached to an Indian film, just India is just made of magic. So randomly, nothing to do with anything. I was at Lake Shrine and I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like heading out towards Malibu. And it's this amazing Japanese garden with a big lake and there's a temple that's like non-denominational. A lot of people go there to meditate in LA, which is a very big thing here. And uh, I was like, let's go to the gardens today and walk around to my friend, Jordan. So we were walking around and I was like, oh, look at those swans down there. Let's go down to the lake and meditate by the lake. Just being sort of like silly. And we did. And I had this like weird, just crazy thing happen to me where I saw like this flash of India. And I opened my eyes and I was like, Jordan, I, I think I want to go to India. And he, he very like guru, like just kidding around said, you know, it's already happening. And then we continued meditating, had a nice day and lunch and went home. And then two, like literally almost two weeks later, I got a message on my Facebook saying, Hey, Tamla, I really think you you write for this movie. I offered it to you. Your manager turned it down. I just want to make sure you actually saw it. Da, 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 you know, and I was like, wait, what? And I read the script and it was so beautiful. It was just so moving. And uh, I was like, I can't like, how is this all happening? It was just a weird thing. So I ended up taking the film and vetting like 20 people before I went to India and 20 people from, from like studio head down to random traveler. They are like, oh, here's what you need to know about India. And everyone was like, don't drink the water, silly stuff. But nobody gave me practical information, really. Hmm. And when I got there, you know, we were basically in northeast India, which was Assam, which is border bordering Pakistan. And my passport was not cleared until a day before we left because the government was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing going to that area? Like, why do they want you? To, like, they thought I was like a spy or something. And <laughs> it was very yeah. weird. <laughs> so we shot in Assam, which is like basically like where all the black tea in the world is comes from it's so gorgeous if you've never seen what a tea garden looks like you should look it up it's like they look like little bonsai trees it's nothing you would ever think it looked like and um we shot there and it's just you know I, just to give you a little background on the film like what it's about i play this doctor named reina who's an american neurologist and I uproot my life in America with my bad like rock star boyfriend to research my ideas on music therapy in India. And I go to India and I find myself teaching these children and adults with disabilities. And I, I figure, you know, how can I help each of these people who, who are suffering with different challenges? And I use the music therapy to basically help them and communicate with them. And by bringing them together through music and inspiring them to challenge themselves through their their uh, actual abilities, their lives are transformed and thus so are mine. And a side story to this, like there's two storylines, my journey going there and then my relationship with two students, Den and Angel. 
one is hearing impaired and one is, has cerebral palsy in a wheelchair. And they, uh, even though they're both disabled, they want to contribute towards the betterment of society by overcoming their physical challenges. And as they come of age, they basically learn to cope with, you know, the abuse, abuse that they're having and the bullying and the, their lives intersect with my characters, who is my character, Raina, is just basically struggling to further her research and through these two people. Uh, my philosophy and life basically changes while I'm in India. So it's very much an eat, pray, love. Mm. But what you get is, you know, some people are born with disabilities, but anyone in your life can, be, be, can become disabled at any moment, even you, right? So yeah. it's just something, especially in America, that generally does not get discussed until it happens. And a lot of people are, want to talk about inclusion and diversity and all these things, but they don't really put their money where their mouth is. And this is an international film, which actually opened in Cannes, which again is the irony. Like I passed on this other film that opened in Cannes and I was like, darn. And then like this magical little movie came to me and it was where we opened and won a little award there. And it's become more than a film. It's a movement to basically break the barriers of stigma in the word disability. So I just hope that viewers watch this you can pre-order it on apple now but it's out november 16th and i hope that people have a change in perspective after seeing just all the amazing talents in the film and that there is ability and disability and i just learned so much making this film about playing to your strengths as a person no matter what the challenges are or that you may face in your life so i just hope people watch it they also take in the people first language which is actually a thing which takes into consideration uh, a person before their diagnosis. So when you describe someone, you, you don't say what a person has. Uh, you say, you, you don't say like, oh, that person, like, you know, uh, my assistant is a paraplegic or whatever. You, you don't use yeah. words like that. You say, oh, this is Roger and he's a nurse and uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, also he happens to have such and such, but you don't place it before the person. And uh, it's a thing that everyone has to learn across the board. But like I said, anybody can become disabled at any moment. My dad this year was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So now he's back and forth between a wheelchair. And you have to think about things like, is there a ramp in this building? I've never had to think of that before. But when you have that in your life, it's your daily struggle, you know. So it's just going to open a lot of people's eyes, I think. Uh, how long did you say you were in India filming this? So back and forth over two years. Wow. It was a lot. Yeah. Did you have like a, so every time you kept going back and forth, did you have to like, how did you prepare yourself to play the character for so two years? Basically, well, physically, like physically speaking, I had to take a lot of shots. Um, <laughs> I had to take malaria pills, which were so terrible but they're better than getting a shot because people say if you take the malaria shot, you'll get schizophrenia. So I was like, oh, I'd like to avoid that. So the, the malaria pills are the size of Mentos. Like they are so big and you have to take them like before you travel, during your travel and after you travel because the way that a malaria bug works to make sure that you don't have it in your system and a lot of, you know, getting immunizations and things like that. But how did I prepare? Basically, the first time I went, like I said, I, I really felt like I was my character in a lot of ways because I was experiencing India for the first time, as was my character. And um, that was pretty genuine. The second trip back, I knew what to expect, but we were going to a different area, which was very rural. 
I don't know if you've ever read National Geographic, but you know, when you, they go to different countries and you see these people who are dressed in saris and they're like gold and red yeah. and all beautiful, right? But they live in mud homes by the river. And it's something you look at in magazines. It's not something you ever really experience unless you're a world traveler. And here we were shooting by the river and I needed to change. And I had to go to a neighboring home, which was literally a mud hut. And within the mud home are actual furniture and beds, just like you normally would have in your house, except for the walls and the floor and everything is mud. And they were like, oh no, this is our second home. This is our river home. Our other home is up above. So basically what I'm saying is in a very long-winded way is when I went back to India, I was prepared better for scenarios knowing what we were going to be shooting next. And I was like, okay, I need to bring a mosquito net and all these things, you know, uh, different walking shoes and things like that. But as far as preparing for my character, it was just a lot of research about disability, about how the brain works. Um, I talked to a few neurosurgeons and I myself already had basically was, I used music therapy, which I'd even knowing it. Basically, if you go on YouTube and if you have a, a migraine or a headache and you look up migraine relief, you'll find a lot of videos talking about frequency of sound, which actually heal the body. Uh, like 528 megahertz is the sound of the universe, the sound of love. Most Beatles songs are recorded at that frequency, which is probably why people love them in addition to their great musicality. Um, but there's different frequencies that the body responds to and that are very healing. And uh, I just delved more into the science of that to sort of learn about her. And the music part of it I already had in my life. So that wasn't, you know, anything to really plan for. It was just now melding these two things together, like therapy with music and travel and, you know, working with 80 people and certainly the main leads of the film who had all different types of um, disabilities or impairments or whatnot was an amazing like an amazing experience. They, some of these kids who are not actors work six months prior to me getting there. And when I showed up, they worked as if they had been rehearsing those scenes literally for six months, they were right in the scene. And I thought, oh, wow. yeah, like what I thought, you know, and we're talking about, there's so many different, there's so many different things that each of the kids have. And, you know, there's a, a, a Down syndrome boy and in a scene he slaps the other boy. And I thought it was happening real time. Like, that's how good they were. And, and, you know, once the director called cut, I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And they're like, no, we're just play acting, auntie. They would call me auntie. No, auntie, we're, we're just play acting. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Like, I'm like, this is better than working with Hollywood actors. Like, wow, they're really, they're in it. They're, they're prepared. There's just from the word go that it's right there. So, you know, as far as, how I prepared. It was just typical ways you prepare as an actor learning about your character, but nothing can, can compare you from going from America to India when you have no knowledge of the country. I mean, I always say India needs a publicist because it's so fantastical. We only know, we only hear about the bad things, you know, uh, but there's so much good there and the people are so lovely that after I had traveled there the first time, I was sort of like, wow, this is going to be exciting going back. Now I actually get to take in a bit more than rather just, you know, work, 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 because we had a very, very demanding shoot schedule when I was working. Awesome. Um, 
so after this, like, is there any other projects that are coming out soon for you that you can tell us about? Um, well, no, this is the big one this year that's coming out. Everything else is delayed, unfortunately, due to the, to the pandemic. I have a couple of films in pre-production, which now look like it's going to be spring, summer on those two, which I don't really love. And maybe this is just a superstition, superstitious girl in me, but I don't really like talking about future things until the checks have cleared. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just, yeah. We already have had so much pushback this year that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm working on a number of things. I, I started a new company. I had a company since 2006. I closed that one and started a new one because my social influencer side of my life sort of exploded. So I needed an LLC to sort of house everything. And um, I have a number of things under that banner, which I'm super excited about. I have an Asian rom-com which that's one of the things that's coming in the spring, but uh, amazing cast. And it's just, I just can't wait to get going. I feel like, you know, this pandemic has put all of us behind a gate, like a horse in a race, you know, that's like, you can't wait for that gate to open so you can continue forward. But um, all in all, it feels like things are starting to change, especially with this election. Like the, the energy is changing quite a bit. How can the listeners uh, find you on uh, social media? Sure. Uh, all my social media is at Tamela D'Amico. My name is phonetic, uh, but there is an apostrophe in there, but in my social media uh, at symbol, there's no, there's no apostrophe. So it's T-A-M-E-L-A-D-A-M-I-C-O at Tamela D'Amico. Tamela, this was fun. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time.